back when I first started as a student at the General Theological Seminary in Manhattan. I used to spend hours just wandering around from the skyscrapers to the Hudson River, just taking in the sights of my new home. And one small discovery was at Guardian Angel Church, a little Roman Catholic parish just a block or two away from the seminary, which had a little series of sculpted panels outside illustrating scenes from the ministry of Jesus, his birth, the visit of the wise men, his healings, the crucifixion, and so on. The payoff was the last panel, which depicted the ascension. Here in relief was a group of wide-eyed disciples sort of gaping and staring into the sky with no Jesus to be seen until you looked a little closer because just at the right upper corner of the panel, sticking down were two tiny little feet, the last bits of Jesus visible as he jetted off into the sky. There can be something a little comic about some of the classic images of the ascension of Jesus. Most of us don't operate with a three-layer model of the universe, as our biblical forebears might have, where heaven is up and hell is down and we're somewhere in the middle. So the idea of someone taking off into the stratosphere might fill us with awe and reverence. But to do that, it has to compete with other images, like Superman taking off to leap over a building, or Glinda, the good witch, floating away in her bubble while the munchkins below squeak, goodbye, goodbye. We have baggage with this vertical imagery. Soviet propaganda used to quote the cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin as saying, I looked and looked, but I didn't see God up there. And indeed, as one of my theology professors at that seminary used to say, God is not up. If we think of God as simply being somewhere up there or out there far away, we miss a lot. We miss the truth that God is right here in our midst. We miss the truth that God is below us, beneath us, the ground of our being, the still, small voice, the humble servant. So no, God is not up exactly. And yet there's still something about that image that speaks to us. Do you know the vividness of memories from when you were a small child? I have one of those small child memories of being about four years old and hugging my parents' legs, which were the easiest parts of them for me to reach. They were like tree trunks to me. And those legs were powerful, grounded presences of the mom and dad who were both up there, bigger, far away, and yet also down here with me. Several years ago, I served for a while as a godly play teacher in my parish's children's ministry. And I learned to lead a body prayer where we reach up our arms to God, like a sun salutation in yoga, or like a small child asking for a hug. Children certainly know about the power of upness, because it means transcendence. 
It means someone or something bigger than we are, which can be scary, but can also be very, very good. Here is what we know about the Ascension. Around the time of Passover in about the year 30, Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And yet within days, his followers had become convinced that he was alive. Not still alive, but alive again, having died and risen. They encountered him. They had experiences in which they found him to be dazzlingly, gloriously more alive than ever. There was a period of time when those appearances happened with some regularity. And then something came to pass that brought that period to a close. With a sense of some loss, and yet also a sense of triumph. Jesus was still with his people, but in a different way. Not in a risen earthly body, but here with us in mystery, in sacrament. Absent yet present. And somehow present also in us. Present in the living, moving bodies of his church. Us as the tangible manifestation of his presence until God's last day. And the authors of the New Testament wrote about this transition from the immediate presence of the risen, glorified Jesus into what we experience now. They wrote about it in the language of symbol. And so if you look through the New Testament for a consistent literal description of whatever it is that we're celebrating tonight, you'll be frustrated. Mark's gospel has no story of the ascension at all. Matthew places it on a mountain in Galilee, Luke in Jerusalem. The Gospel of John and the letters of Paul both seem to think of the resurrection and the ascension as one combined Easter event, all rolled into one. And then Luke, having already written about the ascension in the Gospel of Luke, tells a second and slightly different version of the story in the book of Acts, both of which we heard tonight. What all these different tellings have in common is that Jesus, to be sure, is no longer dead. But his being raised isn't just about coming back to life, not even a new and improved kind of life. Showing up periodically in resurrection appearances to comfort and amaze his disciples is not the full extent of what Easter is about. There's an even greater victory at work. Paul writes about it to the Ephesians. Jesus is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places above every name that is named. In the last verse of tonight's gospel reading, it says the disciples worship this ascended Jesus. It's the first time in Luke's gospel that this word, worship, is ever used. Scholars of the New Testament tell us that one of the most radical probably the most radical feature of the early church was that Christians worshipped Jesus. That these disciples steeped in Judaism, steeped in monotheism, dared to offer praise and worship to this human being named Jesus alongside God the Father. Now we're used to doing this every Sunday. 
So it can be easy for those of us who are Christian and are used to being Christian to miss just how strange this is. We sang a psalm tonight that is a classic celebration of how mighty and glorious God is. Since the first century, we Christians have been cheerfully taking this song from the Jerusalem temple and applying it totally out of its original context to an executed criminal. Think about that. There's nothing particularly controversial if you believe in any sort of God at all about the idea that God reigns over the nations and sits on the holy throne. But Jesus, sitting on God's throne, a human being? Now that's controversial. So tonight we celebrate the mystery of Christ as it resounds into a greater fullness. Christ crucified, yes. Christ raised from the dead, yes. And not only raised, but also exalted to God's right hand. We prayed a collect a few minutes ago that says that Jesus ascended far above all heavens so that he might fill all things. He's not up there at the expense of being here. He is everywhere. He's the beating heart of the entire universe. The mystery burning at the core of everything, from the farthest galaxy to the tiniest cell. This Jesus, who humbled himself out of love for us, is the full expression of God. At the end of the reading from Acts, the two angels have a word for the disciples. You Galileans, why are you standing around looking into heaven? That message is for us too. At the end of our liturgy tonight, we will be sent out. Deacon Pamela will send us into the world, the world that Jesus fills. He is there, everywhere we go, in the face of each person we meet everywhere we could possibly look if we have eyes to see him.